Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. Vessalatu vesselamu alel mev'uthi rahmeten lil alemin ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve baraka ve selleme teslimen kathiran ila yevmiddin. Amma ba'd. Kale Allahu tebaraka ve teala fil Kur'anil mecidi vel furkanil hamid. قُلْ لَئِنِ اجْتَمَعَتِ الْإِنْسُ وَالْجِنُّ عَلَىٰ اَنْ يَأْتُوا بِمِثْلِ هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ لَا يَأْتُونَ بِمِثْلِهِ وَلَوْ كَانَ بَعْضُهُمْ لِبَعْضٍ ظَهِيرًا So dear, uh, dear friends, dear listeners, uh, welcome back to this series on the sciences of the Qur'an. Today we have, uh, we start uh, the second part. And what we're going to do is we're going to just mention the other few names that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to the Qur'an. And just like with everything else, anything that is multifaceted, that has so many different characteristics and so on, uh, you could call the, that specific things uh, using different names. Now what's really interesting is that in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses different names and those names actually provide us an idea of different aspects of the Qur'an. So uh, we dealt uh, yesterday uh, with uh, the name Al-Qur'an and what that means. Now today we move on to some of the other names. The second most famous name of the Qur'an is Al-Kitab, the Kitab, or in English, the book, right? The book, the Qur'an is the book. And this word Al-Kitab actually comes from the word Katab. Kataba means to, uh, to gather something together. So in reality, the word Kataba actually means to... Um, gather something together to combine things together now that's why you get the concept in arabic called katibatun which essentially means a small contingent of an army that goes out somewhere because they're all gathered together and likewise the reason why in arabic you call writing or anything which is written or the concept of writing kitab as well is because what you're doing is you're combining letters together so when you combine letters together, you're combining them, you're gathering them together. That's why it's actually that concept of inscription and putting letters together is also called kitab. So that's actually what it means because it gathers letters together. That's why the Quran has also been called the kitab because it is something that gathers together. What does the Quran gather together? It gathers a number of different things. For example, it gathers the stories and the narratives, the accounts that I mentioned in the, the verses regarding the ahkam. So it gathers the verses together on the different subjects, the, the rules, the laws, and the various different things about the hereafter, about our inception, about past histories, and so on. All of that is gathered together, so that's why it is the kitab. It is the only book that we need in that sense, that it is the one that gathers everything. Now, what's really interesting is that one of the early scholars of the 19th century, whose name was uh, um, Dr. Muhammad Abdullah Daraz from Egypt, he says one of the wisdoms or secrets and really interesting points regarding calling the Qur'an, the Qur'an and the Kitab. So the Qur'an refers to something you recite and Kitab is something that you write down. So like I mentioned yesterday, these are two of the most important names which indicates towards the fact that the Qur'an is, has been preserved in writing and also in recitation, which is through the heart. It's in the hearts of people and it is also written and that is the way that this Qur'an has been, has been preserved and has been transmitted all the way to us. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who actually said um, in, uh, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Surah Al-Hijr, verse, 19, uh, verse 9, We have revealed this remembrance, meaning the dhikr is also the Qur'an. We've revealed this remembrance and we are the ones who will protect it. So now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if he's going to protect the Qur'an and he's uh, promising to protect it, he's, he's, he's declaring that it will be protected then that clearly tells you that um, he is going to also provide the means for doing that. And that is the means of the Qur'an has always been written. And we've got some very early Qur'ans written from the time of Uthman anhu, And it's going to be memorized from generation to generation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to protect the Qur'an from being changed, from alteration, from interpolations, from uh, any additions of addi uh, additional ideas in it or reductions, uh, uh, taking things out, omissions and so on and so forth. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took the responsi responsibility himself to do it. As opposed to that, when he came to the other uh, divine, uh, the uh, the other divine scriptures that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala had revealed of the past. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, for example, in Surah Al-Maidah, verse forty-four: wal ahbaru min The Rabbaniyun and the Ahbar; these are their priests and others, their people of uh, you know who ascribe themselves to God. Because bimastuhfidu min kitabillah, ay bima tuliba ilayhim, bima tuliba ilayhim hivluhu, because they had been sought out to protect it. They're the ones who had been given the responsibilities. So it was men in other communities before us, in the other nations before us. It was actually people that were provided the responsibility, and they could not fulfill that responsibility properly. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala kept this responsibility to himself. Of course, it's our responsibility as well, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes sure, uh, Allah maintains that. And there's a reason for that. Allah could have preserved the other books if he wanted to, but he let that, uh, he let that be overcome by the nature of things in this world, that uh, things can be changed in this world. But with the Qur'an, very special measures were put into place. And the reason for that is quite simple, that the Qur'an, number one, is a book that follows all the others, and it is supposed to be an end, uh, a book that is not going to end until the Day of Judgment. It's supposed to be effective until the Day of Judgment for all of humanity, and, it, and for all of jinn kind as well. It is supposed to be something that we will benefit from. It is not a temporary book. All the others were temporary. They may have been for a few hundred years, but they were still temporary. When it comes to the Qur'an, it's for thousands of years, and so 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 far we've had 1,400 uh, years. However many more years this Qur'an will remain like that, and so far it's not been changed, and inshallah it will not be changed again at all according to what the Qur'an says. And that that is one of the reasons why it has to be preserved in that way. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best, that's why he says, وَهُوَ الْحَكِيمُ الْعَلِيمُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the wise one, and he is the knowledgeable one. Move, moving on to some of the other names, uh, probably lesser known names, another very famous and well-known name of the Qur'an is An-Nur, it is the light. So the Qur'an is a light. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah An-Nisa verse 174, O people, has come to you a proof from your Lord and we have revealed to you a clear light. We have caused to descend upon you a clear light. 
what has light got to do with the Quran? I mean, many of you will be able to work this out, probably know anyway, is that the Quran for the human being, the Quran for us is what shines the way. It's what illuminates the path. It tells us and provides us a light that this is the right, this is the wrong, this is the truth, and this is the falsehood, and this is halal, and this is haram. It provides the, it works in tandem with the aql, with the human's intellect. The human intellect tries to work things out, but there's certain things that it cannot figure out in terms of what is right and wrong, right? In terms of how something is going to affect us in terms of the hereafter and so on, in terms of what's to come. So that's why the Qur'an is there to provide us that guiding light and that's why the Qur'an is a light. Then another name that we're going to look at today is Al-Furqan because that's a very well-known name of the Qur'an. It's called Al-Furqan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in uh, Surah Al-Furqan itself, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Blessed is he who revealed the criterion, Al-Furqan, the criterion upon his servant so that the, he could be a warner for all of mankind. So it could be a warner, he could be a warner for mankind. Furqan comes from the word uh, distinguishing, to make distinctive, to separate. And Furqan, because again, the Quran, that's exactly what it does. It's the criterion. It separates between the good and bad, right and wrong, and it provides that benefit. Haqqan batil, iman and kufr, halal and haram, good and uh, good and bad, khair and shar, and so on. That's what it provides, what is guidance and what is misguidance. That is what the Quran does. So those were the names in brief. We're not going to um, discuss them uh, too much. Now we move on to another aspect, which is that the Quran is a revelation. The Quran is a wahi, and we, we hear this word all the time, uh, this concept of wahi. So now let us move on to the discussion about how the Qur'an is a revelation, how it was revealed, what's the nature of this revelation and so on. And this is a really, really, really interesting discussion. Let us start off first with trying to understand what this word wahi means. I mean, you guys have heard this probably, the Qur'an is a wahi, it's a revelation. So what exactly does wahi mean? Let us talk, uh, let, let us ask a, a very early lexicographer, a linguist whose name was Ibn Faris, the, the you know, Ibn Faris, he's a very famous lexicographer. He says that this is Aslun Yadullu ala ilqa'i ilmin fi ikhfa'in ila ghayrik, fal wahyu al ishara, wal wahyu il kitabu wal risala, wa kulluma al kaitahu ila ghayrika hatta alimahu fahua wahyun kaifa kan. And this is what he says. So essentially, the concept of wahi is anything that you will inspire someone else with, that you will. Uh, convey to somebody else with, right, in a very subtle way. It, it's not like, here, take this, necessarily. It's in a very subtle way that something is conveyed to someone else. It's almost like a gesture, an indication. Like, it's just a gesture is a wahi. Wahi is very, very subtle. You can hardly tell that it's happening, but the other person finds out about it. Of course, it could be done in more manifest ways, like through a book, through something written, through a message, through somebody else as well. That, it could be done that way as well. But the basis of a wahi is that it's very, very, very subtle and very secretive in that sense. It's very subtle. It can be done without anybody knowing. Essentially, whenever you give anybody a gesture, right, uh, in a code language or otherwise, and they understand what you're saying, like when you say no, don't do that now. They will understand the point. That is also a sense of wahi in the linguistic sense of it. 
right? So wahi includes an idea of something being understood and conveyed very, very fast. A very, very quick um, conveying of a certain meaning. That's what you get from that. So the word wahi has been used for others as well. So for example, uh, not just the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Qasas verse 7, وَأَوْحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ أُمِّ مُوسَىٰ أَنْ أَرْضِعِي We inspired, we conveyed, an we conveyed this message to Musa, to the mother of Musa actually, that you should nurse him. Now, Musa alayhi mother is not a prophet, but she is receiving a wahi. That's in a very particular context. That's not the normal wahi, because as I said the word wahi means to give somebody information, to convey something to them. So likewise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that we did the same thing to Musa alayhi mother, that we conveyed to her this information that you should look, you carry on, you, you go ahead and you nurse this child. Likewise, it's used in a very negative sense as well. Just in the, in the literal sense, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-An'am, uh, verse 121, That the shayateen, they also do wahi, meaning they also pass on information in a very subtle way towards their friends so that they can dispute with you. So shaitan is also doing literally speaking, conveying this very quick method of uh, a whisper. In his case, it would probably be a waswasa anyway. So that's the literal meaning of wahi. But when it comes to the Quran, the technical definition of wahi, that's a very, very particular definition. What exactly is wahi with relationship to the, our Prophet ﷺ in the Quran? So I'm going to define it for you as the scholars have defined it. Sheikh Nuruddin Aitar, this is the way he's defined it. It says, فَالْوَحْيُ the wahi is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informing the one from among his servant that he has chosen and specially selected using a very subtle and a very quick procedure, a very quick method. Very subtle, very method. You can hardly tell it's there. He's got the knowledge. It's like, it's almost like, like a an information that you get like immediately it just occurs to you now the way we're going to try to understand how that exactly happened this is the interesting part that how exactly was this communication between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger now the best place to find that out is actually from the hadiths of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa where he actually describes this so the Prophet sallallahu actually goes on to describe how he would receive the revelation so for example the first one it's a hadith in Bukhari, Muslim and many others. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, أَوَّلُ مَا بُدِئَ بِهِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ sallallahu alayhi wa sallam مِنَ الْوَحِي الرُّؤْيَ الصَّالِحَةُ فِي النَّوْمِ The first of the revelations of the wahi that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam received were actually pious dreams, righteous dreams in his sleep. So the first type of communication that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provided to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was through his dreams. فَكَانَ لَا يَرَى رُؤْيًا إِلَّا جَاءَتْ مِثْلُ فَلَقِ السَّبْحِ Whenever he would see a dream, whenever he would see a dream, it would very soon, very quickly, the next day when he would wake up, it would essentially become a reality just like the morning is so bright and so evident. Right? So he would see something in his dream and then after that it would become very clear. After that, the Prophet ﷺ was made to... Uh, made uh, was basically made to like to stay in solitude 
So that's why he would retreat to the Ghar, to the cave, and that's where he would stay in, in, in the cave of Hira. And that's where he would do some kind of worship, some kind of meditation, some kind of worship for a given number of days. And then after that, he would come back and he would take provisions and he would go back there because there were no stores or anything down there. He would actually take some food and so on and then he would come back. Now what happened is that while he was in this process where he would go to these places for a few days each time and then he would come back, he'd go there again. On one of these occasions, he was suddenly there when suddenly an angel appears in front of him, right? In a form, an angel, probably in the form uh, uh, of a person or something, uh, comes in front of him and the angel says, Iqra, read. So uh, the Prophet ﷺ said, Ma ana biqari'in, I don't know how to read. I cannot read. So this angel takes hold of him and embraces him to such a degree that it's very hard, very powerful embrace. And he says, it was like to, um, uh, to my extent that I, I couldn't bear it any longer. And then he let me go. And then he said again, read. And again, I said, I don't know how to read. So again, he takes hold of me again and uh, gives me this really, really strong embrace. And again, takes me right to my end. And then he lets me go. And then again, he says, read. So I said, مَا أَنَا بِقَارِئٍ right? مَا أَنَا بِقَارِئٍ Now in this case, it's the same words as before, مَا أَنَا بِقَارِئٍ which we've been translating so far as I do not know how to read because the Prophet ﷺ did not, uh, was not taught how to read, okay? uh, to read and write. Now on this occasion, it's the same words but many have interpreted this as saying, what should I read? If you're so insisting, okay, what should I read? مَا أَنَا بِقَارِئٍ Again in Arabic, this could mean, uh, what should I read? And it can also mean, I am, I, do not, I am not a reader. So what should I read? So in this case, when he asked that question, that's when Jibreel alayhi salam said, اِقْرَأْ بِسْمِ رَبِّكَ الَّذِي خَلَقُ خَلَقَ الْإِنسَانَ مِنْ عَلَقُ اِقْرَأْ وَرَبُّكَ الْأَكْرَمْ الَّذِي عَلَّمَ بِالْقَلَمْ Read in the name of your Lord who created, who created the insan, the human being, from a clot. And read in the name of your Lord who is most benevolent. The one who taught by the pen. So the Prophet this for him, this was an amazing experience. It was an extraordinary, very incredible experience. And it was very difficult for the Prophet to figure this out. It was like all of a sudden, he'd never had this experience before. Yes, he'd had some dreams, but this was an, a very unusual experience. Not something that you have normally. It's almost like he, he, he had this huge... Uh, the experience was so profound that you can only tell by the way he felt afterwards because it said that after that he quickly went back home and his heart was trembling. His heart was shaking. Right? He probably did not know what to make of this. So quickly he went in and Khadija bint Khuwailid, his wife, radiallahu anha, was at home. So he went in there and he said, Zammiluni, Zammiluni, which means cover me up, cover me up. Now that's a really interesting idea. When a person is terrified of something, when a person is really perturbed in some way, it really helps. That's why you give people a hug when they're terrified of something. It just kind of helps. There's a, there's a certain benefit that you get, a certain comfort that you feel. So he, it's almost like he was feeling cold and that's why he, was, uh, he asked to be wrapped up. So then that's what they did until finally this, uh, this, this terror and this, uh, this, uh, this uh, feeling uh, disappeared from him. So then after that, that's when he told Khadija radiallahu anha, لَقَدْ خَشِيتُ عَلَى نَفْسِي I'm actually fearful of myself, like what happened to me? What kind of an experience is this? What, who was this person? Right? And is this what's going on here? Right? 
And what he's fearful of is that maybe this is the shaitan or something else. And immediately Khadija radiallahu anha says, Kalla, wallahi ma Allahu abada. There is actually no way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will uh, humiliate you. There's no way that you could be humiliated. And then she gives reasons. This is his wife and she's giving reasons of why he cannot be humiliated because innaka latasilu rahim. Because what you, you're, you're very good at tying the knots of kinship. You're very good with your relatives, with your family, right? And وَتَحْمِلُ الْكَلْ الْحَقِّ So he mentioned these five points about him. You're very good with your family. You're always good with them. You don't break up and everything like that. You uh, carry the burdens of others. You help others and you carry their burdens, right? You don't let them do it themselves. You assist those who don't have to earn. Right? You assist those who don't have, you help them earn and you, you, you make them, um, you, you benefit them uh, in, in that way. You also are very hospitable to your, to your guests. You are hospitable to your guests and you assist people uh, whenever they have any difficulty, whenever you know, they have any calamities or any other difficulties in life, you assist them. Now these, Essentially, she had this belief that if there was somebody of that nature, I mean, this was a perennial belief that anybody who's a good person like that, they can't be overcome by the devil. They cannot be influenced by the devil. This is not necessarily an Islamic idea from before, right? Clearly, this is, as Muslims, we believe in this, but this was something that they also believed. And that's why Khadija said that there's no way that you could be negatively influenced by the shaitan. However, she had a cousin whose name was Waraka ibn Nawfal ibn, As- ibn Asad ibn Abdul Uzza, who was her cousin brother. And uh, he, in Jahiliyyah time, he'd left the religion of uh, the, you know, the people of Mecca, of worshipping idols and so on. He'd actually become uh, a Nasrani, a Nazarene, which is a follower of Isa alayhi salam from whatever he found. So she quickly took him to him because she was, he was the most knowledgeable person that she knew and they needed to interpret this experience what's going on here who is this that they saw who is this that the prophet had seen right um uh, this waraqa ibn nawfal he could actually write in hebrew he knew how to write hebrew and that's why he would write the evangel the bible right in hebrew right and and you know probably he would teach it to people or whatever the case is but at, by this time he'd become very old and he'd actually become blind as well khadija said my cousin can you please listen to your, uh, to, to your, to your cousin, please? Meaning uh, the Prophet he's not, his, he's not his cousin, but he just referred to him as the cousin. So Waraka said, okay, um, son of my, my brother, what did you see? What was your experience? So the Prophet told him exactly what happened. So now Waraka immediately, because he's read the early books, he's read the books and he's seen how Jibreel comes and the angel comes to the prophets. He said, yes, this is the same angel that had come down to Musa alayhi salam. He says, oh, how I wish I was younger and stronger. How I wish I was younger and stronger. And then he said, um, how I wish that I would be alive when your people will humiliate you, when they will degrade you. So he can see it all immediately. He can see it all because he said, this is exactly what happened before. So the Prophet sallallahu said, awa are they going to uh, evict me? Are they going to throw me out? Are they going to expel me from here? And he said, yes. No man has come with something just like what you have come with, meaning the experience that you have had with this angel, right? Anybody who's had that, they have been dealt with enmity, right? People have become their, en- uh, their enemy. And he says, if, then he said to him, 
that the day when this happens, if I am to be found on that day, then I will fully assist you. I will assist you in the fullest manner. However, he did not remain that long. And very soon afterwards, he passed away. Very soon afterwards, he passed away. Now, there's another hadith in uh, where Jabir ibn Abdullah al-Ansari radiallahu anhu is talking about uh, what happened is after the initial revelation, uh, what happened is that uh, the Prophet ﷺ didn't have a revelation for a very long time. It stopped, right? He was looking forward to it and then suddenly it stopped. So that's, that time is what you call the Fatratul Wahid. This happened right at the beginning. After that, it would happen continuously, you know, for the you know, other 23 years, for the rest of the 23 years. But in the beginning, there was a massive gap in between. And so in this hadith, uh, he says that once the Prophet Sallallahu said that once I was walking when I suddenly heard a sound from the sky. So I looked up, فَرَفَعْتُ basari. I looked up at the heavens and suddenly there there is an angel, right? Uh, there, there is an angel there and he is he, he, he's come to Hira and he is sitting there on a chair between the heavens and the earth now that's a vision that he had he saw him like that now of course there's no cameras and all that hey let me take out my camera and take this picture or something like that you know this was an experience that prophet it's an extraordinary experience i don't think anybody would be thinking about a camera at that time and he says so this is another version of that event that i became i, I became very terrified by this so i returned and i said zammiluni and then after that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the next verse uh, to be revealed after Iqra Bismi. The rest of the surah may have come down later, but the next verse that came down was Ya ayyuhal muddathir qum fa'anthir wa rabbaka fakabbir wa thiyabaka fatahhir wa rujza fahjur wa la tamnu tastakthir. So this is the beginning verses of Surah Al Muddathir, right? O person who is wrapped up, O one who is wrapped up, stand up and warn the people fa'anthir wa rabbaka fakabbir and magnify your Lord extol your Lord and purify your clothing and a number of these different uh, guidances were provided to the Prophet so now you've had two experiences we've learned of two experiences one is where the angel comes and says the words uh, of the revelation of the Quran to the Prophet and this other one which is a bit um, ambiguous as to exactly how he heard this we don't really know so let us try to look at all the hadith to try to understand how exactly the revelation would come to the Prophet ﷺ if there were other ways as well. The, first, uh, the best thing for us to do in this case is that let us first look at a verse in Surah Shura in the Quran, verse 51. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا كَانَ لِبَشَرٍ أَن يُكَلِّمَهُ اللَّهُ إِلَّا وَحِيًا أَوْ مِنْ وَرَاءِ حِجَابٍ أَوْ يُرْسِلَ رَسُولًا فَيُوحِيَ بِإِذْنِهِ مَا يَشَاءُ إِنَّهُ عَلِيٌّ حَكِيمٌ It is not for anybody, for any human being, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to them, except by revelation, wahi, or from behind a veil, or that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send a messenger, right, who would then con communicate this by the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by the permission of Allah as much as he wishes and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the uh, Allah is the high one and the wise one so in this verse 
which is the conclusive which is a conclusive verse of the Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying there are three ways that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala communicates with people number one either by direct revelation wahi number two uh, from behind a veil which is also a source of revelation it's also a source of communication it's also a type of uh, what do you call it uh, a revelation and number three he sends a messenger generally an angel that we're speaking about so this is telling us about three parts Right? This is telling us about three ways that this happens. The first one is by that really quick, subtle, very invisible kind of communication. Right? The second one is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will speak to them from behind the veil. So you can't see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but He will speak. This is exactly what happened with Musa alayhi salam as well and with the Prophet on several occasions. And the third one is where the angel will come. So the communication is done through a messenger, which is the angel. Now what we're going to look at is the ulama have actually uh, studied the various different hadiths about this and they've tried to uh, bring together all of the different narrations, all of the different information that we have regarding how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would communicate with the Prophet sallallahu and how this Quran eventually was compiled together in the way it was. So the first one is Ru'ya as-Sadiqa, which is the, the, the dreams. Right? And I've mentioned the hadith to you from Aisha radiallahu anha about this before, where uh, the Prophet before he actually received any uh, manifest wahi uh, from, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he started off with dreams. The second one is that the angel will come, an angel would arrive, and it would, the angel would inspire the revelation directly into the heart, the mind of the Prophet. He would not see the angel. He would know that there's an angel there, right? Because he was having this experience and it was like he was giving him this message, right? And the Prophet ﷺ would download it almost, you could say, right? There's a, a hadith that's related by Imam Hakim in his Mustadrak from Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu where the Prophet ﷺ said, In the Ruh al-Qudus nafatha fi ru'i That the angel, right? This Holy Spirit has inspired this directly into my heart into my into my soul essentially right and what was it and that particular occasion it was that was the verse that no nafs would die until they fully acquire all of the sustenance has been written for them so now you fear allah and um uh, uh, look look for your wealth in the best of ways Right? Don't resort to bad means and bad uh, ways of uh, earning your wealth. So that we, we're being told that it's the angel that's coming and directly inspiring, but the Prophet does not see the angel. Number three. Now remember, all of these that we're going to discuss, there's seven or eight types that we're going to discuss. They all are some form of the three that we discussed earlier. It's a revelation, uh, a quick communication, or it's done through uh, behind a veil or it's done through a messenger. Sometimes all three things are combined together or two of them are combined together as well. The, the third one, the third type is where an angel would come and in the form of a man. Generally, that was in Dehya Kalbi radiallahu anhu's form. He was a very, very handsome Sahabi. And sometimes when Jibreel al-Islam used to come, he used to come in the form of Dehya Kalbi radiallahu anhu. Right? The Prophet sallallahu would figure it out. Others wouldn't and the reason why Dehya Kalbi radiallahu anhu why he would come in the form of a human being is because so you didn't want this huge angel coming always in town right because that would really cause a lot of confusion and you know it would attract too much attention so it would, it would come in the form of a human being 
Right? So people think, oh, it's just a man, maybe it's a stranger. Sometimes it would be a stranger, sometimes it would be somebody that they could maybe recognize, but he was not there at the time, like Dehiya Kalbi radiallahu anhu. However, as you know, the famous hadith of Jibreel, which is uh, the first hadith in many books as well, the, uh, the first hadith of Sahih Muslim, for example, the hadith of Jibreel alayhi salam, where he comes in the form of a human being with jet black hair, right, white clothes, nobody recognized him. So he was an absolute stranger. So he was not Dehiya Kalbi radiallahu in, in this case. He came, and this was to create an enigma at this particular point in time. He wanted to attract people at this time. He, he's a stranger, he's come from out of town, but you don't see that his clothes are soiled or anything like that. He's got jet black, black hair, white clothes, and he then comes and sits really close to the Prophet and starts asking him questions. So an angel would come like that as well. Number four, an angel would come in, a state, in his angelic state and provide this wahi and revelation to the Prophet Now the Prophet describes this one as being the most difficult one. This experience was one in which it says that when this would happen, he couldn't necessarily see the angel all the time, but he says he would hear almost like the ringing of bells, almost this, this ringing of bell sound. That's how he would know it is the wahi coming, from the Prophet, uh, coming through the angel. Right? That was the most severest form on him. He would find it very difficult to absorb that one. It was like the revelation is coming down and he's absorbing the wahi. I'll, I'll give you a bit more about that. The fifth one is where Jibreel would come. And this only happened twice, where Jibreel came in his original form. So the Prophet in this case saw Jibreel in his original form. Now the original form of Jibreel is awesome. Right, it is. He had essentially when he saw him, he saw him. Um, if you go out of the Haram today from King Abdul Aziz Gate and you go up towards the King's palaces, that place is called Ajiyad. That is where the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam saw uh, Jibril alayhi salam in all of his glory, wings outstretched. Right, and he was essentially encompassing the whole of the east and the west. It was an awesome sight. That was the one time where he saw him in his original form. And the second time, or the other time that he saw him in his original form is, as mentioned in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Najm, right? In Surah Al-Najm, verses 13 to 18, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَقَدْ رَآهُ نَزْلَةً أُخْرَى عِنْدَ سِدْرَةِ الْمُوتَهَا عِنْدَهَا جَنَّةُ الْمَأْوَى إِذْ يَغْشَ السِّدْرَةَ مَا يَغْشَى مَا زَاغَ الْبَصَرُ وَمَا تَغَى so he sees him up in the heavens on their journey, on their ascension journey, on the night of the Mi'raj. That was the time, the other time when he got a, a vision of him in his original form. Now, um, all of these, besides the first one, which is clearly dreams, all the other ones, all of them are to do with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send an angel and the angel will then inspire the words and communicate the words that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's message to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam or to the messengers. Now, number six is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to the Prophet, right? The sixth type of communication is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to the Prophet from behind a veil. So you, they, they would know that it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking to them, but they couldn't see anything. This happened uh, during the Mi'raj, where after the Prophet was given, 
right? So you know the time when the Prophet was given 50 prayers and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala met with the Prophet the majority of the Sahaba, their opinion is that Allah uh, was actually seen by the Prophet The Prophet actually saw Allah. The majority believe that, okay? The majority believe that, right? So we're not talking about that's a very special communication that happened, okay? However, after that, when, uh, Allah, uh, when the Prophet ﷺ kept coming down and going back and Musa ﷺ kept sending him back up and saying that, no, you must decrease it, you must decrease it, your ummah will not be able to do 50 prayers. That's just too much in a day. I mean, imagine if we had 50 prayers to do in a day. Imagine if we had to do 50 prayers in a day, that would be very difficult. So thank Musa ﷺ, right? So now, whenever he, uh, he would go back and then it would be decreased. And finally, on the final moment, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala said, to the Prophet ﷺ, this was behind the veil, it says, أَحْكَمْتُ فَرِيضَتِي وَخَفَّفْتُ عَلَىٰ عِبَادِي Okay, this is the final decision. I have lightened the burden on my ummah. So it will be five. And there were other, uh, the, مَا يُبَدَّلُ الْقَوْلُ لَدَيَّ And there, there were some other things that, look, the words never change. So you will have to, you will do five prayers, but you'll still get the reward of 50. All of this communication was done at that time as well. Likewise, when Musa ﷺ had that very special uh, experience uh, of... Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking to him, which, you know, when he heard uh, What an experience. He heard the sound coming from a bush, from a tree, right? So he couldn't see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but he knew this was Allah. And the sound, they say that Allah's words when he speaks, according to many opinions, is that this is not a sound that you can actually hear the way you're hearing me right now. According to some, it's like that. But others, they say that this is a special communication that you actually ab absorb, absorb with every pore of your body. It's an experience that you actually take the communication and you absorb it. It's not like you hear something through your ears, but your whole body is needed. It's more like a 3D, 4D experience. Right? When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to somebody. And that's what made Musa alayhi salam the kaleem of Allah, the interlocutor with Allah. I mean, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to all the prophets, right? He would reveal to all the prophets, he would send messages to all the prophets and the revelation. But Musa alayhi salam is considered that because, you know, this was a very special occasion and the way it was done, that he heard the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speak to him. That was the sixth type. And uh, uh, I mean, there's very subtle differences between them if you're confused. And the seventh one, is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks directly to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa which I've already indicated towards this one. The Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks directly to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa without an angel, without any other intermediary, without a veil. And this, was, this is what happened once, right, especially, which is when the Prophet sallallahu went on the ascension and he saw Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to him directly. You see, not everybody can receive a revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this very special way. You need to be prepared for that. And the Prophet's heart was actually prepared more than once to receive these special revelations from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One was when he was still in his wet nurse's house, Halima radiallahu anha, and his uh, heart was taken out, his body was split, his chest was split, his heart was taken out and specially washed, right? And his uh, milk brothers there were very worried about what was happening to him and so on. But that was uh, Jibreel alayhi salam, um, the angels had come to wash his, wash his heart, right, to make it special. Because, you know, it's not, you can't get the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your heart in the way the Prophet sallallahu had to receive it to then give it to everybody. And so we have the Quran today. He was prepared specially. Also, when he went on the ascension, the mi'raj, 
the same thing happened there again. So there were two or three times when this experience happened where his heart was specially prepared for this. Now, let us just understand these the several uh, types of revelation. That, uh, let, let's just understand them a bit more um, in terms of the nature of it. So, for example, one thing we know is that when the Prophet ﷺ would receive a wahi, remember these are the words of Allah, the eternal words of Allah are being sent down to the Prophet ﷺ. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but when you're taking a very, very heavy download on your system, right? When there's a huge download, your processor and everything will act up, right? It will generate a lot of heat because it's doing a lot of calculations to receive all of this information. There's a burden upon it. Now, I know that's not exactly what is happening here, but just to give you an idea, when the Prophet ﷺ is receiving, when the Prophet ﷺ is receiving this words of Allah, what is he receiving? Not just anything. These are the special words of Allah. That means there's a huge heaviness in that. The Prophet ﷺ used to actually become heavy. He used to start sweating. That is what's mentioned. So Aisha radiallahu anha relates, the Harith ibn Hisham once asked the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, how does the wahi come to you? Tell us how you receive the wahi. We understand the nature of it. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam obliged. He says, mithlu salsalatil jaras. Sometimes it comes to me like the ringing of bells. Meaning I don't see anything, but I hear like the ringing of bells. Right? Now it doesn't have to be literally the ringing of bells, but it seems like this kind of incessant sound. Now don't think that this has to be like, Ding, 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 you know, this ringing of a bell. It doesn't have to be like that. It's just showing that, you know, when, when you ring a bell, there's an incessant, com continuous sound, like, you know, just, you know, like a continuous sound. It could be something like that. He says, it's like the ringing of a bell, like an incessant, continuous sound. And then he said, that that is the most difficult one for me. That's the most difficult one for me to bear. And then after that, that, that sound goes away, that state goes away from me, and I just remember what was told, me, t told to me. So the communication, the revelation, I, I just remember it afterwards. right? So I don't have to do anything, but I have to undergo this really, really difficult experience. And then after that, it, I get released from that, and suddenly I know the verses. Right? Then he said, on other occasions, an angel is... Uh, comes to me in the form of a man and he speaks to me so then I just memorize what he says so that's the one through the angel Aisha radiallahu anha says in explaining she says I have seen him when a revelation was coming down to him when a wahi was coming down to him it was a very severely cold day right it was a very cold day and the revelation was coming down to him and when the revelation finished when this experience was over he was sweating so it's a freezing day, but he was sweating after the, after the experience. So that's the one of them. And uh, there's another hadith uh, related from Sa'id ibn Jubayr, from Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu. Um, there's a verse in the Quran in Surah Al-Qiyamah, لَا تُحَرِّكْ بِهِ لِسَانَكَ لِتَعْجَلَ بِهِ That don't quickly move your tongue so that you, know, you can rush to memorize the Quran, which I talked about yesterday as well. Right? Because when the revelation would come, the Prophet would try to repeat it quickly so that uh, he could, uh, what do you call it, memorize it. So Allah said, you don't need to do that anymore. Right? So Ibn Abbas anhu says that, uh, let me do this for you. So he started moving his lips the way he'd seen the Prophet moving his lips. 
And then Sa'id radiallahu an, Sa'id ibn Jubayr al-Tabi, who had seen this from Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, and was then relating this incident later on. He says, let me do that for you as well. Let me show you how the Prophet would move his lips. However, after that, that was only in the beginning. After that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this verse. لَا تُحَرِّكْ بِهِ لِسَانَكَ لِتَعْجَلَ بِهِ إِنَّ عَلَيْنَا جَمْعَهُ وَقُرْآنَ Don't move your lips uh, so fast, right? Uh, to, to rush this like this. We will have you memorize it. We will have you read it and we will have you memorize it. And that's exactly what would happen, right? The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam then would just listen and he would have just memorized whatever would happen, right? Okay, the, the next one, which we're going to have to, inshallah, leave this for tomorrow. The next one is where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would have an experience where he would hear like the humming, or like the buzzing of bees. So it's really interesting. You have the incessant sound of a bell first. And in this particular one, um, he, it's, like the, it's like the buzzing of bees. So that's the, that's the other experience that he would have. This is really interesting. Inshallah, we will continue with this tomorrow. Jazakallah khair. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless everyone. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless this Ramadan and make it better than any Ramadan before it. And allow us to be in touch with the Quran. And I would just say that if you can actually, inshallah, subscribe uh, to the channel. And if you can also uh, let others know about this as well, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khair for listening. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, uh, as they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. Jazakallah khair and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.